In less than a year, our podcast has gone from an average of 10,000 downloads a month to 50,000 downloads. What made the difference? You leaving us a five-star review. The more positive reviews, the more the algorithm picks us up, and more people are confronted by the law and gospel of Jesus Christ. Help us press forward the crown rights of King Jesus by leaving us a five-star review on your favorite podcast platform. Thanks. All right, here we are. I'm going to go ahead and intro the episode. We have the following written. After back-to-back terms of President Barack Obama, the Republican Party looked poised to turn in a new direction with a nomination of Donald Trump. However, many evangelical elites such as Russell Moore, Timothy Keller, Francis Collins, and others balked and began to exert substantial effort over the coming years to convince evangelicals that voting for Democrats was acceptable and even necessary to stop Trump. Orange man bad. Now, new details reveal that this effort was not just an organic, conscientious objection to Trump's bombastic style, but a coordinated and well-funded effort among some of the evangelicals' most influential figures to propagandize millions of conservative Christians. Tune in now as we are discussing in this episode how Russell Moore and Timothy Keller, as well as other names which will be mentioned throughout the episode, how they got evangelicals to vote for baby killers, a.k.a. Democrats. Wes, he wrote our article for this week. He's going to go ahead and line out a little bit of the overview of this episode, what we'll be discussing. Take it away. Great. Thanks so much. Good to be here again. Uh, So, We'll talk about today uh, the divide in evangelicalism that arose over Donald Trump, uh, the behind the scenes, so behind the scenes, the money and the influence that actually went into manipulating the evangelical vote, and towards the end, Lord willing, we'll look at the year ahead. Uh, So it's election year again. I don't know about you guys, I'm pumped. 2020, Mm -hmm. front to back, was just a ride. So it's so good to be back in election (laughs) season. We've never been more back than we've been before. Uh, yeah. And we are right now. It's, yeah. uh, it's going to be quite the year. Uh, Lord knows what's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, just a brief note, we had planned to talk about the dynamic of Christians and how they should relate to power. And so we are pivoting to this, to this new news, some interesting stuff that's come out. But just really briefly to mention, I think you did a great job on Sunday talking about it. When we say how Christians should think about power, power is a tool, right? So an axe can do an incredibly good thing for you. It can chop wood, it can help you build a home, or it could be used violently. Power should be thought of the same way. And there's many who would say, well, Christians, our ethos, our our motive is to lay down power. Timothy Keller, he literally said one time, he said, uh, it's in the nature of God to give up power and privilege. And so you'll be told uh, by evangelical elite, uh, you should give it up. You shouldn't seek to attain power. You shouldn't seek authority. You shouldn't seek control. Uh, but that's just not true. I would even say like to even be capable of virtue, I think of self-mastery. You have to have some level of control and power over yourself. That is a prerequisite to even being able to order your house well, much less making a difference in the world. So, Lord willing, we'll get into that topic um, some other time, do a full episode on it. But for this week, talking about um, Timothy Keller, Russell Moore, other evangelical elites, how they got Christians, how they they went after evangelicals to vote Democrat. Right. One quick note, wanted to add on this. Um, Maybe you've never heard of Timothy Keller. Russell Moore, for example. You would say, I don't know who these guys are. I've never read a book by them. Uh, who are they? And why should I care? Would be the bigger question. 
the way these kind of platforms work is that maybe you've never heard their name, but your pastor, for example, say your pastor balked over COVID or balked over Trump. Um, he was probably listening to these guys. Right. Timothy Keller's influence, he's sold millions of books. It's almost diffused. And so their ideas and their thoughts and their ethics, uh, they get absorbed to where they're almost the zeitgeist of the moment. Mm. Mm-hmm. They're almost um, yeah, taken for granted uh, because they're so influential. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, that's good. Um, with the power thing, one, one of the things I wanted to note is um, even, you know, with this episode, we are going to address that topic at least at, at some level. Uh, because what's interesting is that, you know, a lot of the modern day evangelical elites, they want you, the, the plebe, to give up power. Mm-hmm. Uh, but notice Russell Moore and Tim Keller, you know, and, and Francis Collins and these guys, um, they're, they're not leading by example. Um, they, they're telling you to give up power, but they very much are wielding yep. power. They have immense power, immense influence, and they're wielding all of it as much as they can in terms of uh, influence and platform, uh, but also in terms of dollars, and we'll get into that, funding, yep. money, um, in, order to, uh, in order to secure a certain outcome, namely that evangelicals would, uh, would vote for Democrats. So, um, and Tim Keller, you know, he's, he's got his, you know, he has an explanation where he said, well, I was registered as a Democrat for these reasons, but it is public knowledge. You can look it up. You know, I mean, he's obviously, he's passed away at this point, but he was, uh, he was registered publicly as yeah. a Democrat. Um, and he has his explanation for that. I don't find it uh, incredibly convincing, uh, but you'd be surprised some of the major evangelical leaders, yeah. Tim Keller is not the only one who are publicly registered as Democrats and have been for decades. So, yeah. I, I feel like I should address too, on that note, um, I've had conversations with Christians who have said, why, are, why, why would you be so shocked and opposed to a Christian voting for a Democrat? Mm-hmm. And I think some of this mentality comes from, I, to be honest, I think it's, it's a little bit uninformed because the Democratic Party has, from its beginning, been a problem, a sinful problem of um, racism and um, uh, anti-black uh, um, freedom and uh, segregationist. And also, as far as even their mon- monetary policies, I think were extremely misguided. Um, but the Democrat, Republican, or the progressive conservative issues that we face now are clear moral issues. Hmm. There's, there's no way that we can say that voting for baby killers or people who advocate removal of body parts from transgender, so-called transgender children, or totally open borders, abdicating duties of nations. These are, these are obvious bright lines, right? right? Where there is a right and a wrong on each side of them. And so in that sense, people need to realize that the political issues that we face are not really political issues. Right. They are spiritual issues that are manifesting themselves in yeah. polls and uh, elections, but they're they're clearly spiritual, yeah. moral, black they're and white moral. issues. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Um, okay, so Wes, maybe kick us off with uh, you know with our as we open this up, the divide in evangelicalism since you know 2015, really leading up to the 2016 election. That was, I mean, that was the moment where you know these guys, you know, so. Uh, you know, give uh, honor where honor is due. So Aaron yep. Wren, uh, he came out with an article where he was summarizing some of the findings. Do you remember uh, the author of that book that he was, 
I, f- I forget yes. uh, the name. What, what is the name? It's a book called The Kingdom, the Power, and the Glory, American Evangelicalism in an Age of Extremism, authored by the man's name is Tim Alberta. Yep. Okay. Uh, I've skimmed the book itself. It's it's a pretty generic critique of how dare Christians, you know, try to win back their country and push back against That's liberalism. That's the point, right? The, the book's intention was not really to kind right. of expose evangelicalism, right. Right. right? It was Aaron Wren who came in and kind of mined it for the data for what we're exactly. talking about today. And what was some of that data? So like backing up all the way to 2015, there were meetings, right? So last yep. week, it's funny, last week we talked about conspiracies. Right. And we didn't no. say we didn't say there's no such thing as conspiracies. We just <laughs> said, we just said, look, there's like, you know, on, on any given day, you know, uh, there's, there's a million conspiracies and 2 million on Sunday. And so, you know, we, as finite creatures have to, we have to triage and, you know, and prioritize, you know, and one of the things we talked about is well, what's going to actually affect me at home, right? Not yes. just who shot JFK, not, not to say that there's not a truth there and not to say that there might not be um, a, a truth that goes against the, you know, the history that we've been taught. Um, but, that truth, I'm sure it would have ripple effects and implications and yep. things like that, even for us today, but probably not to the same degree as um, abortion effects today or or completely open borders, you know, in a, in a just a complete, you know, invasion. Um, that, that affects, especially for us living in Texas, you know, those kinds of things, that yep. affects our, our wives, our children yep. um, at another level. So with conspiracies, we're not saying that, that, that it's all just hogwash. We're saying, no, some of these things really... Uh, they're real. There's something to it, and um, uh, but we need to uh, triage and pick the ones that are um, that that hit closest to home. And uh, otherwise, you can just lose yourself, and you you know you you don't have any time in the day to actually be with your own wife and kids because you're on some Reddit thread, you to, know, to whatever. protect them. Right, exactly. So, uh, so we're not against uh, conspiracies turning out to be true. Right. Over the last few years, the difference between you know conspiracy and the truth is you know three to six months. Three, six and so, months. Uh, so this is something that that honestly, if it had been mentioned um, even just a couple of years prior, probably would have been viewed as uh, a silly conspiracy that um, a group of influential evangelical leaders are meeting together in person, right? Like almost like like this regular you know, lodge or something, you know, like, like they but term meeting, themselves the outsiders. They yeah, outliers. They outliers. Really, uh, had a name and everything. Outliers. What yeah. is it? Okay. And yep. so, yeah, they had a name for their group. They're meeting in person. Russell Moore, it seems like was brought in a little bit later, but yes. he was, a, he became a part of the group. But it, uh, the implication is that Tim Keller and Francis Collins and some of these other guys, uh, a guy, what was the name of the dude with the they, New York? David Brooks uh, is a columnist for the New York Times. Yep. Yeah. So you're talking about, like, uh, when you think of, like, the NIH, National Institutes of Health, of which Francis Collins was the director, right. they have a $40 billion budget. So you have a massive government influence. David Brooks, New York Times columnist, massive traditional legacy media influence, one of the best-selling apologists and authors in Christendom, on the Presbyterian side especially, Timothy Keller. On the Baptist side, Russell Moore, other attendees. And the date of it... Because at that time, Russell Moore was still SBC, head of the ERLC. Yes, Yes, he was head of their ethics commission. Um, They're meeting in 2015. Now, Trump didn't, of course, so we're in 2024 election year. We haven't even had any primaries yet. We don't know who will be the nominee. We have a good guess. I think you could could warrant a guess for who it'll be. So they're meeting before Trump has even stood in a single primary. And what they're meeting about... So Bernie Sanders is a self-avowed, self-described democratic socialist. He was on the ballot. Hillary Clinton, not a fan, not a not a fan of evangelicals, not friendly to their policies. They're looking to be the next front runners up for the Democratic Party. So he had two years of Barack Obama, who he billed himself as a moderate, 
he tacked hard left. He tried to bill himself as this unifying, moderate, bring both sides together. He really wasn't that. He had two years of really a pretty progressive president. I mean, 2015 was Obergefell versus Hodges, the legalization of same-sex mirage. So Mm -hmm. you had a rapid progressive um, influx of change, of cultural headwinds, 2015 going into 2016. And the object of their concern, what was it? Bernie Sanders, Clinton, no, it was Donald Trump. (laughs) Somebody that had mean tweets on Twitter. Possibly, Mm -hmm. even not specifically Donald Trump, but a conservative backlash to the leftward direction that the country had been going. Because like you say, Trump wasn't necessarily the guy. So they're already meeting saying, what are we going to do? How are we going to push the evangelical vote towards a more progressive mindset? Right. And this is coming off, this is during and then towards the end of two terms of Obama. Correct. So they're watching one of the most, you know, or the most progressive president um, in American history and uh, and they're saying and and there's and their their takeaway is not we're concerned about this. Their takeaway is uh, we're concerned that this might stop. Yep. We're concerned that like we, uh, some ultra conservative guy might you know come in or whatever. Like so they're like how can we how can we stay in this? What's going to happen to us as we steward the slow decline? Like these men, you can give your thoughts, but like they almost seem like they're stewards. I think of the steward of Gondor. Yep. Right. He was just holding the throne, not as a king, not to rule well, not to see a renewal, literally just to manage it slowly. Abandon your post. <laughs> yep. And then it comes yep. down to it. Yeah. Abandon ship. Yeah. That's what these men almost remind me of. The ship is going out on the West. The sun is sinking. We're entering, it's probably going to be a tough couple, not just years, but decades ahead. And it looks like these men just wanted to keep the status quo above everything else. Not someone to change it up. Not someone to flip the table, even if it has some negatives. They right. just wanted to manage the slow decline of both evangelicalism. I mean, Russell Moore, he said, let cultural Christianity die. But what a dumb thing to say. Yeah. And what I want to get across, not all of them, but many of them, they hate the church. Yeah. And in a sense, God's people, they love nothing more than selling them out. I think of uh, David French with the New York Times. He's getting his thousands of dollars to write against good salt of the earth Christians, mm-hmm. to sell them out, to put them on blast, to make them look silly. These people don't love God's church. They don't love him. They don't love his people. Um, yep. And when it becomes so obvious that they can't even deny uh, the ways that they have harmed Christians um, throughout you know, the entirety of the country, it's, uh, there's not deep repentance. There's not deep remorse. There's not sorrow. There's not a sense of like, oh my goodness, I hurt the people of God who I love, right? Mm, David right. says, you know, speaking right. of, of the saints, he says, they are the excellent ones in yeah. all the earth in whom my, my soul delights. Yeah. Like he delights in the people of God. He loves them. Um, but Francis Collins, you know, recently, like, uh, the, the reaction is not, um, godly sorrow leading to repentance and deep remorse yeah. for how he hurt the people of God. The reaction is whoops. Um, you know, like turns out like, uh, you know, we were thinking about how COVID would affect, you know, New York city that's densely populated and these kinds of things. Uh, we didn't think about, you know, Ohio, we didn't think Mm, about Kansas. We didn't think about, you know, we weren't thinking about rural areas, you know, and turns out, but, but here's the thing. It's like, Oh, you weren't thinking about it, but, um, there were hundreds of people that were, and we screamed at you and you heard us, you looked us in the face, you heard, you knew, and we know, you know, because, uh, that, that you heard what we were saying because you mocked us and, and told us to emails. shut up and deleted the and, emails yep. and, and ran a campaign against us. And, um, but like plenty of people uh, did you, so you weren't thinking about this. Well, plenty of people were, and they put it on your radar to where you were thinking about it and you didn't care because at the end of the day, um, 
that that you know blue collar conservative you know salt of the earth Christian in Kansas uh, doesn't doesn't matter as much as uh, the person in New York City yeah. mm-hmm. in your in your mind right they, like these these are people who um, they love the chief seats and the lo- they love the people who can put them in the chief yeah. seats flyover country uh, doesn't matter to them. Because these are just, you know, Neanderthals, as no. Joe Biden said, you know, like our president. Um, I mean, that like they they hate you. They hate the salt of the earth, blue collar Christian. And you know, back to the conspiracy type thing. Like, you know, maybe we'll get into the Illuminati one day. But I think uh, it's absolutely uh, hits home, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's absolutely something that's that's right on the nose and relevant for us as Christians and our families, our wives, our children, our local churches to talk about. Uh, maybe not the Illuminati. Um, but sadly, the evangelical version of it, a group that literally has a name that meets in person and did so for years yeah. during Obama's two terms and says, this is not our big concern. Hmm. Our big concern is this stopping yeah. with orange man bad because he has mean tweets. And uh, how can we uh, influence, use our, leverage our influence, not just ours, but um, with, with Francis Collins and the, uh, you know, and the New York Times and all the, how can we leverage all cash, money, influence, books, sermons, conferences, the whole nine yards um, to keep going in a political direction uh, that murders babies, that eventually will uh, will trans kids. And, um, you know, that that's yep. what we should focus on. It gets us popular for about 10 years. Yep. You'll get popular. The rest of the, the world will suffer in the coming decades. But right. you'll have your moment. You'll have your moment in the spotlight. Right. Absolutely. What is it, Ezekiel It's 36 or maybe 37, where it talks about, you know, wicked shepherds. And we, I know we'll get into John 10, the good shepherd, the yeah. hired hand. But like Ezekiel uh, 36 or 37, it says that, you know, um, God is angry with the shepherds of Israel because they, they don't care for the sheep. They right. just mm. eat the sheep. Yeah. Uh, that's all that, you know, he's, they're getting fat off of, you know, the slaughtering the sheep, eating the sheep, but they don't actually care uh, for the sheep. And I feel like that's, yeah, I, I, Tim Keller you know, God rest his soul. We're not trying to pick on a guy, you know, who died, you know, somewhat recently, but um, Tim Keller did some good things for the Lord early on. I think he had some good things, but uh, his, his last, um, last at least decade of his pastoral tenure was, um, was wicked. Yeah. It was bad. It wasn't suited for some others have pointed this out, the negative world. You think of there was a world where Christianity was a positive thing. I think leading up to about 2008, he terms it. Then there's a world where being a Christian was, you know, it wasn't a knock on you, but it wasn't necessarily like, oh, I want to hire this good Christian, hardworking young man. And then we've really entered since about 2014, 2015. Aaron Red would say this. This right. isn't my takeaway, right. but the negative world, a world where it's a negative mark. You're looking for a job or you're looking for an appointment. Oh, you're, you're, a, you're a Christian. You believe in conservative values. You believe marriage is one man and one woman. Ooh, you're, you're not quite what we're looking for. And Keller was not suited that negative world where, where it costs something many others too not suited for a world where they couldn't keep their place at the high table right. their seat in the reputable market they couldn't have their cushy seminary appointments and uh and it's being revealed right the cover's off we now see what they really were right all right um let's go ahead and cut to a commercial real quick and then we'll come right back the danger of centralized power is often represented by the word king as americans we hate the word king Civilian ownership of body armor is about helping people to have increased power to resist tyrants and criminals. 
And so Armored Republic is about helping you to preserve your God-given rights to the honor of the Lord Jesus Christ because he is the King of Kings and he governs kings and he will judge them. This is Armored Republic and in a republic, there is no king but Christ. We are free craftsmen and we are honored to be your Armorsmith of choice. Finally, a coffee company that doesn't hate you and your beliefs. Today's sponsor, Squirrely Joe's Coffee, is a thoroughly Christian company that ships seriously good coffee straight to your front door. Owned and operated by Joe Morris and his family out of Olney, Illinois. They believe that Christians should be building a thoroughly Christian economy by doing business with other like-minded Christians. Just go to squirrelyjoes.com and use promo code RRM for 20% off your purchase. Squirrely Joe's Coffee. Share coffee. Serve humbly. Live faithfully. All right, we're back. Uh, so we're going to pick up now, real quick, before we move on to segment two, um, let, let's just briefly cover the post-war consensus, because yeah. uh, that, that's a term that keeps getting you know uh, thrown out there, and a lot of people probably don't actually know what it means. Could you explain a little bit of that, Wes, and then I've got a couple things I can add. Yes, absolutely. So we talk about like Trump's mean tweets. The deeper reason underneath that, like we live in a post-World War II culture. Uh, the sky is blue, the grass is green, and World War II has deeply affected just about everything about this world that we live in. That's just the fact of the day. Something that came out of World War II, so we saw the absolute destruction from Russia, from Europe, uh, from Japan, even on our borders to some degree. And the idea that came out of this, you can trace this in writings, you can trace this in academia, is that these strong, ardent, I just want to say passions, love for religion, love for family, love for nation, that these things can motivate us to do terrible things. They're dangerous. Now, true, right. They're dangerous. Now, true, vir- true virtue orders them rightly. Our first love is God. Our second love is family. Our third love, nation is on the list, for example. Uh, we order them rightly. So we don't put nation above God and do terrible things. But the post-war consensus is this, is this idea that what to avoid... Again, a World War II, a World War I, the atrocities that happen. To avoid that, what we need to do is we need to create um, a culture where our values are inclusion, our values are diversity, our openness. We need to divulge ourselves, push down these ardent loves for, for family, for blood, for soil, for nation, for all these things in their own right that are good. Uh, we need to push those down and instead exalt uh, a place where diversity, inclusion. And so to that end, the strong man, a strong leader who says, for example, Trump is very strong on immigration. We need to keep our borders secure. Uh, Immigration needs to be carefully vetted. So we're letting in the right people that were benefiting our nation. Uh, Rhetoric like that sounds a lot like uh, fascism from World War II. And so that's where that idea came from. Well, and that's why the media constantly tied, you know, Trump to Hitler. Right. right. So like, you know, so that's, that is the post-war consensus. And just a, a couple things I would add to that is like, uh, one, when we say the strong man, 
Uh, we're not saying in Hitler being kind of like the quintessential example of that. We're not saying that Hitler was uh, truly, according to you know biblical definitions, a strong man. So we're not saying internally and, yes. and in terms of matter of the soul, you know, at a spiritual level, that uh, that he was a strong man. Hitler was a Christian. He was regenerate and he was godly. Like we're not. We're not. That's not what we mean. And and in the same way with Trump, because I could right. see the objection coming. The counter would be Trump, strong man. Uh, he tweets like a fourteen-year-old girl. <laughs> well, you know what's strong about that? You know what. Uh, but when we say strong man, what we mean by that is um, in terms of uh, his policies, and I would, you know, and I would argue for you know his first three years being uh, much better than right. his his last yeah. year, and a lot better than some of his rhetoric now. Some of it I like, some of it I'm like, oh come on, dude, like yeah. you know, like you, like you're gonna you're gonna position yourself to the left of DeSantis, dumb. Like, yep. go, like that's just, that's dumb. Um, but Trump does some dumb things. But all that being said, the, the point is, when we say strong man, we don't mean uh, strong uh, like Jesus, truly strong by, by biblical definitions, but we're just saying strong opposed to weak. So R.R. Reno uh, would probably be, he'd be the guy. So that's a book recommendation that I, I want to throw Read out there it. for our listeners. Yep. Definitely, I would say two biggest books for me for 2023 um, that, that were really helpful was Defenders of the West, um, uh, Abraham, uh, what's his first name? I forget something Abraham, yeah. uh, but uh, Defenders of the West. It's chronicling, you know, uh, the Crusades, but not super heady and historical. He takes eight of the, you know, the most uh, famous Crusaders, Richard the Lionheart and uh, Duke Gregory, and you know, and these guys. Um, what, what's his name? F- uh, Ferdinand, uh, Spanish uh, king, and yeah. he says, you know, he says, all right, you know, these guys. This is what they did. This is how they honored the Lord. The Crusades. You've been lied to with revisionist history. They're not as bad as you would think. And that's kind of in the same frame as the second uh, book that I read. Uh, of my two favorite books from last year was R.R. Um, R. Reno. I'm not saying they were published last year, but I read them. R.R. Um, R. Reno, Return of the Strong Gods, and when he. He says Fantastic. the strong gods, super helpful. Uh, when he says the strong gods, he's not talking about pagan gods like Thor. You know, he's right. he's saying the strong gods being lowercase g gods. Uh, patriarchy would be one. Uh, it's basically everything in in line with nature. <laughs> that which is, you know, uh, is natural order. So patriarchy um, opposed to uh, egalitarianism, feminism, yeah. um, uh, and then nationalism as opposed to globalism. globalism. Yes. Um, you know, so at all these different levels, uh, you know, uh, religion as opposed to secularism and uh, materialism, Darwinianism, um, tradition as opposed to modernism, yeah. um, you know, uh, modernity. And so he's saying these are the strong gods. And what he means by that is uh, not that they're actually deities, uh, but he's just saying these are the traditions and the grid, the mold, the system that has sustained humanity. Uh, for thousands of years. Um, and then the weak gods would be the opposite of all those things. So instead of a strong national sense of, of loyalty, fidelity, and even pride in, in the right sense of the term, it could be, it could be you know, a bad pride, but it could also be a good pride. Yeah. It's not inherent. Nationalism doesn't have to be inherently uh, bad. It could be good, a good version of nationalism or a bad version. But the alternative is globalism, that, uh, that nations just get steamrolled into one global order. It's the WF, you know, think George Soros and those kinds of uh, for patriarchy, it would be feminism, you know, uh, for uh, religion, you know, again, s- secularism would be the weak God. And and to sum up the weak gods, as opposed to the strong gods, it would be inclusivism. Um, 
inclusivism. And the way that you get inclusivism is by going against uh, transcendent, absolute, universal truth. So anyone who is saying there is a standard above us, yeah. even if they're not pointing to the Christian standard, right. uh, it could be uh, Islamic nationalism, yep. right? Islamic patriarchy, right? So there are different versions of the strong gods. I believe there are Christian versions. I believe there are pagan versions. I believe there are um, Islamic versions and you know all these different things. Um, but, but anybody who would stand up and say, you know what? Uh, strong male uh, leadership is a good thing. Feminism has uh, done a number and, and we don't need it, you know, or nations are a good thing. Um, not, we don't want one global order. America is for America, America first, make America great again. Or anybody who would say, you know, religion is a good thing. Traditions of old yep. is a good thing. Um, that would be someone who is a strong man. Again, internally, he might be weak, you know, but a strong man using strong rhetoric, advocating for the strong gods. And my whole thing over these past couple of years, if you want to know like what, you know, if you want to know Joel Webin's shtick, <laughs> that's basically under underlining all the videos is I'm convinced that Reno is right. And I was convinced before I even read his book, I didn't have all the rhetoric that he's used and that that's been helpful. But I feel like, um, there's a return to the strong gods. And I feel like a lot of evangelicals, even some of the good guys. So I'm not talking about like Tim Keller and Russell Moore types, but I'm talking about, you know, mid Eva types that are in the reformed camp that are mostly conservative and, and mostly biblical, mostly faithful. Um, I, I feel like what they're trying to do right now is I call it the Gandalf move, right? So that you've got the, the bell rog on the one hand, you know, and you've got the, you know, Frodo and the ring and, you know, and the, the fellowship of the ring over here and they need to be protected. And there's a bridge in between and Gandalf's going to go to the the middle of the bridge, standing between that which needs to be protected and, you know, the threat and, you know, do the, you shall not pass. And I think that that's kind of what Tim Keller did. And I think I see other guys doing that too. Now they're doing it with better biblical language and they're doing it, you know, I, I don't want to put them in the same category as Tim Keller because they are more faithful than Tim Keller, at least, you know, end of life, Tim Keller, you know, last 20 year Tim Keller. Um, but, but it's still the same strategy of, uh, so, so, uh, you know, right now it's like, we're in feminism. Uh, well, we don't want, uh, we don't want, uh, people to go back swing the pendulum. They see it as an overswing. So we don't want it to overcompensate overswing all the way to patriarchy because that's bad. So we're going to stand in the middle of the bridge with the bell rock and uh, and say you shall not pass uh, not feminism uh, not you know uh, uh, patriarchy complementarianism you know or we're going to stand in the middle and say like yes you can care about America but not too much you know so not nationalism but um, being patriotic you know like because that's somehow that's okay but nationalism is terrible um, you know or so at every level and I just bottom line that dog won't hunt. I think that that's not going to work out. So what I think is um, all the evangelical leaders in mid-Eva right now doing the Gandalf move, trying to stand in the middle and say, you shall not pass. I think America, it's inevitable. I think R.R. Reno's right. It's just going to jump right over them. And they're all going to go back. So I think the, the actual move of Christian leaders should not be uh, trying to carve out a middle way, yes, which yes, is a Tim, Ke that's a, that is Tim Keller summed up in a nutshell. And I think, you know, again, medieval, I'm not putting them in the same category because I think they're carving out a better middle way, but I think it's still a middle way. Um, so it's a, it's a better third way, you know, maybe it's a fourth way, whatever you want to call it. And fourth way is better than third way in this whole analogy that I'm painting, but it's still another way. I think that the, uh, feminism to patriarchy, that return inevitable globalism to nationalism, 
capitalism, inevitable. Um, and so for me, instead of standing in the middle and say, well, well, don't do patriarchy or feminism, do complementarianism, you know, a, a, a rich uh, theology that's that's been around since 1988, you know, like, <laughs> um, I don't think that's the, the best path. move. Instead, what I want to do is I want to get all the way over here where everybody's going anyway, anyway, and where I think we're supposed to go, where I think God wants us to go. And what I want to say is um, everybody's going to come back to patriotism uh, or patriarchy, and everybody's going to come back to nationalism, and everybody's going to come back to tradition, and everybody's going to come back to all these things because this works. This sustains societies. Um, but but what I want to do is I want to come over here and say um, there is a, a transcendent, true yeah. Christian biblical version of all these things. So so these guys are standing in the middle, and maybe you hold off the Belrog for a little bit. The Belrog being the masses, you know, and and you're trying to hold them off from what you see as an overcompensation, um, uh, overswinging the pendulum. Maybe you hold them off for a little bit, um, but I don't think that this strategy will work. Eventually, all you can do is you can impede. I think you can you can stall, um, but but you will not hold them off inevitably. And then once they hop over you. Um, you know what they're going to do? They're going to go from feminism. You slow them down with your your alternative of complementarianism. Maybe you slow them down for five years, but eventually they they red pill faster. You know, uh, past uh, complementarianism, and then they go over here to patriarchy. Uh, but all the Christians have said complementarianism is the Christian op option. So when they skip and they say, "Well, complementarianism doesn't have teeth. It's weak. It doesn't make sense of the world." Yeah. I see these these gaping holes. It makes some sense, but then there, there's no answer to this question and this question. Then they go over here and they say, well, patriarchy, that one actually makes sense, but there's actually no Christian uh, version of patriarchy because all the Christians opted for this Gandalf middle road. And so when they get into patriarchy land, what are their options? Islamic patriarchy, uh, Andrew Tate Andrew patriarchy, Tate. but I repeat myself, um, you know, uh, 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 Rolo Tomasi patriarchy, you know, it's uh, Joe Rogan, you know, patriarchy. Yep. Like, and so, so there's no, nothing but non-Christian options. Same with nationalism. So it's like, well, be patriotic, but nationalism is bad because you know Hitler was bad and he was a nationalist and maybe that holds people off for a while but then they realize again there's problems with that and then they hop over here and again your only options all the Christians opted for this middle way so there's no Christian option no significant Christian you know influence and leaders over here and so when they land into nationalism they're actually more likely uh, to say well hey maybe Hitler wasn't so bad you know and like oh you know and so what I'm trying to say is no let's get over here Christian nationalism Christian biblical patriarchy, biblical tradition, biblical, you know, all, and, and, and just, and just skip to the punch and doing it because that's where the people are headed. But I don't want it to sound like that's the only motive. That is a motive, but it's not even the chief motive. The chief motive is, I believe this is what the Bible right. teaches and I want to be obedient to God. Yes. So all that being said, the post-war consensus is embracing the weak gods of inclusivism. You can do that with statements, with ideas, right? So there is no transcendent truth. Uh, you know, you could be right, your truth right? Truth becomes relative. So, so weak on, in terms of just truth in general, weak on borders. It's not nations, it's globalism. It's not patriarchy, it's feminism. It's not um, uh, capitalism, it's socialism. It's not like at every single level, it's it's weak. And, and when I say weak, think weak as being synonymous in this framework with inclusivism. Include, 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 include. And it's because the last guy who made strong dog, dogmatic claims, well, that dude... Yeah was Adolf Hitler. And you don't want that. And so, and that's where we've been, not just in America, but in the West, the post-war consensus is basically the argument that for si at least 60 years, if not longer, but at least the last 60 years, uh, we have all, even if we're not conscious of it, we've all subtly um, uh, given our consent to some degree or another 
that strength, especially strength in a man in a in a position of power, is bad. The and populist. All, and we just the populist is bad. And and then all we did was uh, the evangelical version of that is we just wrapped that in Christianese. So I have something I want to say about that, and then I'm going to pivot us back to getting into the funding um, behind that. This, because I think that what we see going on with the evangelical power plays, not power plays, but the, but what we're talking about with uh, with your article today, Wes, is a result of the um, post-war consensus. And what I want to say, I've been thinking about what you said just now a lot, Joel. And in some ways, we, and we being the church, we are in a, a unique position because the deconstructionists and the post-war weakness has kind of destroyed a lot of presuppositions. People mm. don't have a presupposition about morality, except that it's not there. People don't even have a presupposition about gender anymore, right? And so we actually, if, if we, the church, will take advantage of the time that God has put us in, we will rebuild these things in a godly way. We, we will, re, like, gender has just been assumed as an order of creation. Praise the Lord. That's mm. been how it is for all of, nation, uh, all of history. But rarely has there been a time in history where gender is grounded in the Lordship of Christ mm. or where um, national duty is grounded in what the Scripture objectively teaches. It's That's been good. the default strong position, but we, right. the church, and we're losing it because people are going to Andrew Tate, right. and they're going to Jordan Peterson, and they're going to this or that, and it should be the church informing people what it means to live and to have the proper loves that God has given to us. Amen. That's now, good, that being the case, um, I want to read a quote because it's so interesting to me. In 2008, WEF in Davos, uh, they invited Rick Warren to go and speak. And Rick Warren started his talk by saying something along the lines of, there are these great issues that humanity faces that no single nation has been able to tackle. And he listed pandemics, he listed poverty, he listed you know economic inequity, things like this. And he said, because we haven't been able to tackle these to this point, it behooves us to partner together. And what he meant was international government forces, international business, and international religious movements. Okay, And this is what he said. He said, there is a role for the public sector. There's a role for the private sector. There was a role for the faith sector. And then he says, the governments, or the UN, ought to set the policy for what needs to be tackled globally. Then he said the enterprise, the commerce, the business sector needs to um, kind of come up with new ingenious ideas of, of tackling problems. And then this is what he said the role of the church in this open post-war kind of global neighborhood world is. He says, but then also houses of worship have things that businesses and government will never have. In the first place, we have universal distribution. The church was global 200 years before Davos started talking about globalization. And then he said, we have 2,000 years of credibility where we can tell our people to go do this because the government told us and they will believe us. Mm. He handed mm. the WEF the credibility of the church and the goodwill of the regular average person sitting in the pew, the blue-collar Christian— and said, these are totally at your disposal. And yep. if we wanted to, that was 2008. That was that even was before the Russell Moore. Yep, that Rick was Rick Warren. Warren. It was Rick Warren. Wow. Mm. Yep. Hmm. Uh, yeah. 
Not shocked. <laughs> Sad, but not shocked. Yep. Um, all right. Uh, Wes, pick it back up yes. um, with segment two now. Evangelical elite saw Trump as the biggest threat and the dark money funded years of propaganda. Let, let's get into some of that. Yes. So uh, 2016, Trump is elected. Uh, they did not just take their ball and go home. Well, we had a good run. We tried to dissuade the evangelical vote. They came out actually at a little bit stronger level than they had even in the past. And so it wasn't effective, at least in the short term. However, um, these initiatives, so aimed at educating evangelicals, aimed at um, persuading the vote, aimed at political engagement, uh, they continued. And so 2020, obviously COVID happened. And what we actually see, Aaron Wren revealed this, is that what these, what uh, Curtis Chang is a good example. He's an individual that's a consultant, uh, David French. They began getting together and forming these initiatives. And what they did is they actually went to, they went to Christians, first of all. They were said, looking hey. for funding. Right, they were looking for funding. They went to Christians and said, hey, could you... Fund this. We want this, to put this together. This is David Chang, Russell Moore, uh, Curtis Chang, Russell Moore, and uh, David French. Curtis Chang. We want okay, to put David together French. a curriculum for Christians. So go to Christians. Will you fund this? And they said, No, we're not interested in funding this. And so they actually went to the secular investors. Secular investors. He said, All of them said yes. Then you got into obviously COVID and the vaccines. Well, the government paid individuals, one of them being Curtis Chang and others, uh, money, undisclosed sums, to put out videos to aim to convince communities of faith. To get vaccinated. Another example of this, I lived in New Jersey at the time. Um, I saw events. I have screenshots. There was these events being held called Grateful for the Shot. Food, fun, games, vaccines. Being held at Hope of Dominion and vaccines Glory. Vaccines administered at, at the, the, site. the event? So come to the at site. At a church? Yes. Wow. Come to the site. Come to our church. Listen to some music. Play some games. We're grateful for the shot. Being paid by the New Jersey Department of Public Health to hold these events. And so... We talked about influence, obviously, backroom 2015, but that continued to grow. And just 2020 election, there's a lot of issues with it. But I mean, Biden was elected, and it's not unthinkable to think that five years of telling Christians, this man is terrible, Trump right. oh, is yeah. awful. Of, of, of these evangelical leaders telling Christians. Right. Yes, right. These evangelical leaders telling Christians, Trump's terrible. Mm -hmm. How could you do this? How could you support him? That it finally saturated the ground enough that in 2020, at the very least, they stayed home. Maybe they voted against him. I'm sure many did. Mm -hmm. Or they at least stayed home. And now we see where we are. And just didn't vote at all. Yeah, totally. Yep. Yeah, and that's not to mention, you know, rigging an election and mail-in ballots sure. and ballot I harvesting. And all, yeah, yeah, exactly. And machines, you know, just accidentally, you know, saying, oh, this was a pile <laughs> for Biden, you know. <laughs> so there's all those things as well. But aside from, you know, the, the freest and, and safest and surest election of all time, um, Absolutely. Like, let's just say that the election was 100%, you know, legit, um, which, you know, again, if you believe that, you know, I've got a bridge I'd love to sell you, but, uh, but let's, let's say it's 100% legit. Well, just at a human level, um, yeah, Biden could have won by just, uh, by knocking out the evangelical voting block, um, or at least weakening its legs, hamstringing it. Um, and, and who did that? Evangelical leaders, Russell right. Moore, guys, absolutely. And one more name to add to the list, sadly, um, God's used him in many ways. I'm grateful for him. And I, you know, I want to put him in the same category as Russell Moore, Tim Keller, those guys. Uh, but John Piper, yeah. he, he should be mentioned. Uh, John Piper, one of the articles that he wrote, um, 
before the election, right? Right before the election. And so it was pivotal. I mean, he was trying to influence Christians to do something it in regards- It was right before the election. Yeah, it was right so, before yep. the election. And John Piper has massive influence. And he influence. had stayed out of it the whole time. Exactly. He was doing great. Yep. You know, John Piper is, he really is great in a lot of ways. Uh, terrible on politics. Yep. So he's just bad on politics. He just needs to stay out. Um, but, you know, he wrote this this article right before the election. He has massive influence with a ton of Christians. And I, I just can't believe this didn't uh, affect how, how at least some people- uh, voted. I bet you that some people, just like Wes said, uh, either said, "Well, then I guess I'm just not going to vote at all, or I'm going to, you know, vote for third party." Too complicated, or you know, whatever, or or maybe even that was the nail in the coffin. You know, like add that to you know all the work that Russell Moore and Tim Keller have been doing, and and it, you know we just conjured another Christian yeah. uh, uh, vote for Biden. That the the conscience, the Christian is sitting there, you know, and knowing I can't vote for a guy who's the most pro-abortion president, you know. At, you know, of, of history, like, I, surely I can't, but, between, you know, Tim Keller assuaging the conscience a little bit, Russell Moore assuaging the conscience, and then John Piper, and, you know, like, of all people who's who's always uh, been a defense of of the unborn yep. Yep. Uh, for decades, you know, but then assuages the conscience, puts the finishing touches, and this is how he did it. He didn't do it by saying, you know, abortion isn't bad. Um, he, he didn't minimize uh, the evils of abortion, but what he did was he, um, in my assessment, in this article, he wrongly maximized, um, increased the, the evils of a nasty Twitter account, and he put them on par. This was essentially, I'm summing up the article. This is obviously, this is not verbatim. It's not a quote. But in summary, I think this is fair. Uh, he said, you know, we know that Biden's bad because we know abortion is bad. It's murder. And he didn't pull that punch. It's murder. And murder is really, really bad. Uh, but you know what else is bad? Arrogance. Pride. And you know what? That's maybe harder to measure because we can look at exact numbers, you know, annually of you know through Planned Parenthood and through this and through that, and um, and see like how many babies have have been killed, you know. And it's maybe harder to quantify the effects of of arrogance, but uh, but arrogance when it's in the highest office in the land, namely the the Oval Office, um, and and it's millions of people are seeing, you know, uh, your your attitude and your rhetoric and your this, uh, well, that could lend towards uh, further division, and division could lend towards factions, and that could lend towards riots, and that could, you know, and and that can lend towards you know this and that and the other and all these negative effects, and and you know what, that's really bad too. And he j pretty much just left it there, and he didn't say, of course, he didn't say, you know, like so, therefore, you know, vote for right. Biden. He didn't say that, but what he the whole purpose of the article was uh, was it said we uh, definitely shouldn't vote for Biden, uh, but I'm here to tell you that uh, that there's just as much reason not to vote for Trump, and I guarantee you. Um, that a bunch of people that year just decided not to vote. Now, here's the gaping hole in Piper's argument. Uh, the gaping hole is uh, what I would say is uh, he 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 created a false dichotomy because uh, what he's implying is this: on the one hand, uh, you have murder; on the other hand, you have pride. Uh, but what that assumes is that there is actually such a thing as a humble murderer. Hmm. That Joe Biden, because what he's assuming there is that uh, Trump is arrogant. But here's the implication: he's arrogant, and Biden is he's not not. Right. So on the one hand, you have, and what's the absence of of you know arrogance and pride? So you have a humble baby killer, and then you have a arrogant, you know, uh, prideful non baby killer. And what I want to say is that uh, you cannot be pro abortion apart from pride. What radical, radical arrogance! Mm. So all you're talking about yeah. at this point is not pride versus murder. 
Because there's no way that you can argue that the most pro-abortion president in our history is somehow humble. Yeah, right. He's, it, it, you have to have pride to do that. It yeah. is such, it is by nature a prideful position. Um, and, and so they're both prideful. All you're talking about is tone. And, and, but, but that works with evangelicals yeah. because that rhetoric had been worked for so many years by this point, the tone police, tone, tone, every gospel coalition, every other article, tone, tone. Well, it's not Cerning. what you said, but it's how you said it. It's, you know, it's your tone, it's your rhetoric, it's your, and so then Trump comes in and, you know, and he's got an abrasive tone, I'll admit. And so, boom, we were ready to say, you know what? Uh, we've got one president who kills babies and another who has bad tone on Twitter. And really, who's to say which is worse? All right, let, let's pause for a second, go to our final uh, commercial break, and then we'll come back. Would you like to get control of your money and set up a system that will guarantee for the rest of your life tax-protected compounding interest and growth? How about having 24-7 electronic access to your money for funding wisely chosen investments, home improvements, and other large expenditures without going to the mainstream banks? This is not a dream, but it could actually be a reality when working with our sponsor, Private Family Banking. See their contact information in the show notes below. To make this season even brighter, Private Family Banking is giving away a pair of tickets, a $500 value, for the upcoming Blueprints for Christendom 2.0 conference, which is taking place on March 1st, 2nd, and 3rd of 2024 in Taylor, Texas. To enter the ticket giveaway, join their email list by sending an email to banking at privatefamilybanking.com. Again, that's banking at privatefamilybanking.com with the subject line of your email email saying tickets, then include your full name and mailing address in the body of the email. The ticket giveaway entry period will end at midnight central time on February 13th, 2024, and the winner will be notified via email on February 14th. You must be 18 years of age or older to enter, and only one email per person can be entered into this giveaway draw. All right. So we're back, and here's the deal. So this isn't back. just we're we're <laughs> back more than we've ever been. Yeah, uh, we have another election coming up. This isn't just man. This happened in the past. Uh, that's terrible. They're gonna try at least at some level the same thing again. So I think about COVID. COVID did a great job. We talked about this, but it, it disrupted specifically for mail-in ballots, for the purpose of voting in a non-traditional way uh, that lended to disinterested voters being registered to vote, getting out the vote. Uh, so we've got another election year coming up, probably even, I would say even more is on the line than it's been. And so there's a couple of principles for Christians uh, to keep in mind. You're thinking through voting, hopefully praying about it somewhat. Uh, one of the big ones is don't overcomplicate it. Uh, don't overcomplicate voting. Um, commit it to the Lord. I think of the different neighbors to think of because we, the first commandment, love God. Mm -hmm. Love him with all your heart, your soul, your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. You're thinking about voting. Well, how should I vote and, and how should I process through the different ways to think about this? Uh, your unborn neighbor, uh, my brother is in the military, for example. Uh, I don't want him going to another war that started, uh, two wars have started. Biden's watch. Yep. There was no wars during Trump's watch. Not a coincidence. Uh, think about your neighbor. Think about your family member in the military. Think about fathers trying to feed their families, yep. uh, trying to put food on the table. Uh, these are some of the principles that Christians should say, like, wait, um, I, I want to love my neighbor well. I can do it in a small part, admittedly, in a small part with my vote. Uh, those are some of the things to think about. Your neighbor, yep. loving them, and loving them well. 
Yep. Yep. So voting does matter. Um, unfortunately, we our system, I think, is flawed in many ways, you know, but we have a two party system and yeah. um, and Jesus is never on the ballot. And so uh, we're dealing with, you know, finite men um, and, you know, not just finite, but fallible fallen men. And uh, and so it is in many ways a lesser of two evils. Um, now, I think that's, you know, we were talking before we started recording offline a little bit. I think that's why as uh at a large uh, level that um, primaries really matter. Yes. So if you're, because yes. on one hand, Michael was saying this earlier, you know, uh, Wes and I were talking about, you know, voting for the lesser uh, of the two evils. And I think that, I think that that is the way to go uh, when it comes to a general election. Um, but uh, there is a certain level, Michael brought this up, that like, well, at a, if we'll always vote for the lesser of two evils, no matter how evil that lesser of the two evils is, uh, then what that tells, you know, the GOP is it just gives them a free pass and says, all you have to do is be a little less evil or at least, you know, detectably less evil than, than the, you know, the DNC um, candidate. And so um, it gives them um, a a free pass to impunity with, with immorality. And so uh, I think, you know, the primaries is where we go out and we say, um, no, this guy is not going to uh, win the primary. He doesn't get uh, to to make it to the general because he's degenerate. This, this, so that's, I think where evangelicals can pull on the levers of power that we have and say, uh, no, the most Christian candidate, the most Christian candidate. So that's where we can really work. And, uh, and then also I think at the local, uh, local level, yep. local elections, you know, those kind of things. I yep. think of, you know, Dusty Devers in Oklahoma, yep. state Senator, you know, like as a Christian nationalist and people are like, you can't, you can't run on that platform and win. But he did. Um, now it does help that it was Oklahoma, but God bless him. Hey. He did. And that's a start. That's what we need. And that's a good start. Dusty is awesome. He's a friend and he's doing great things. Um, and so uh, that's where I think Christians can say, no, this guy, this guy, this guy. So in the primaries, uh, working with that and then local elections, uh, in the general election, I, I really do think mm. you vote for the lesser of two evils in love for neighbor. Um, so one of the ways that I want to love my neighbor is uh, for my neighbor not to be killed. And if one guy, uh, because of his policies, uh, is going to kill a million of my neighbors and the other guy is going to kill 500,000, well, that guy who's going to kill 500,000, he's not righteous, but I can love 500,000 yeah. neighbors mm. by keeping them alive by voting for that guy. Um, and I think I have an obligation to do so. So all that being said, what we want to get into now, this is, I think, the, the most yeah. fun part of the episode that, that Wes planned for us. And I've got lots of speculations, but I'll, I'll throw it to you guys first. But what we want to get into is it's an election year. Yep. It's 2024. Um, and, and so uh, Black Swan events um, that, you know, that's, they, they seem like, you know, like they're, they're random, but they're not just like COVID, it was not a coincidence that it was 2020. Um, and so what what do we foresee? Uh, we don't have a crystal ball. We're not prophets or the son of a prophet. So these are are not uh, predictions that we're, you know, putting our name on saying, this shall come to pass, you know, thus saith the Lord, none of that. Uh, but I do think that there's something to be said for uh, for just being wise yeah. and, and looking ahead. So we're looking ahead, not as experts, but as generalists and saying, it's an election year. It's a heated, contested election. There's a lot on the line for the regime in, in both parties, you know, like because there, at some level, there is just in our nation, just at this point, controlled opposition, right? right? The GOP, most of it is just controlled opposition underneath the overarching regime that's trying to plunge us into, you know, this just this global 
you know, world, you know, one world order that's just progressive, degenerate, you know, lizard people. So that's, you know, I think I, I acknowledge that. Uh, Trump, I, Trump, I don't even think, uh, he, you know, obviously he wouldn't be an elder in our church, uh, but I don't even think he could be a member in our right. church. We, right. we believe in regenerate church uh, membership. We're Baptists, you know, 1689. And, um, I, you know, I, I would sit down to him and talk to him and I'm not saying, I, God alone sees the heart, man right. looks at the outward appearance. But from what I've seen, um, not only do I not think he's a mature Christian, I don't even know if I could say that he right. is a Christian at all. Um, but all that said, one thing I like about Trump is that um, that I don't think that he's a part of the regime. I don't think he's the control. Trump was not supposed to happen. That's nope. why they lost their minds in 2016. Right. Is it was like this, like we, we, we for, for years, it was, they gave us two options. Uh, the option we want and the option we don't want, but he's still our guy, right? You can have, yeah. you can have the, uh, the, the uh, progressive degenerate guy or the, uh, the guy who's uh, conserving the, the progressive degenerate <laughs> things that were done 15 minutes ago. That's right. uh, but yep. they're both actually our guys, you know, they're both within, you know, the machine. Um, and Trump, again, so this is not like Trump is some awesome godly guy. This is just to say he wasn't a part of the regime. And do I think he could have done more? Yes. But do I think he did more than any other Republican president in my lifetime? Also, yes. Yeah, so yeah. Um, so all that being said, you got Trump right now as the forerunner for the for the you know the primary with the GOP. Um, and it's an election year. And we know what stunts they pulled last year with mail-in uh, voting and ballot yeah. harvesting, all these things under the banner, you know, of COVID. Um, you know, 2024, you're, you're foolish. So again, no crystal ball, no prophecies, but we're foolish if we don't at least think of possibilities, yep. reasonable possibilities. It is not going to be a smooth year. It is going to be a crazy year. But what I want to say is, you know, here's a little bit of a, a white pill Wednesday. Um, when I say it's going to be a crazy year, I don't mean it's all bad. I think there's going to be some awesome positive. So I've got some predictions, but let's start with you guys, black swan events, and then also some positive predictions. Let's talk about it. I, I do want to say when we're thinking about black swan events and I have one um, p potential, but in general, I, in my opinion, they fall into two categories and both are an appeal to emotion. One is an appeal to fear like COVID was, right? Stay home, don't go out, don't do anything, shut everything down, you're all gonna die, right? That's an appeal to emotion, but specifically to the emotion of fear. Mm -hmm. The second one is an appeal to the emotion of empathy, mm -hmm. right? And so um, that leads me to one that I... God forbid it happened, but since borders and nationalism are such an issue, I think it's possible that there could be some sort of disaster among immigrants here in America, mm. right? Where some person is painted as a um, uh, some sort of nationalist or even Christian nationalist who does violence uh, towards immigrants or some disaster at the border mm. where a bunch of them die trying to cross or thirst out in the, in the desert, something like that. And this gets used as an appeal to the emotion of empathy. See, if we just open the border, if we were just giving them citizenship, if we were just giving them all the things that they needed or wanted, none of that would happen. And those of you who are voting in any way in a sort of nationalistic pride sense, you really should be not even just not voting, but should be marginalized and put on the fringes of society. So that's one I have. That's good. Yeah. I think it's important to remember too, the margins we're talking about, they're really very yep. small. It's really about four battleground states and the deciding vote in those is probably under 100,000. I think in the last election was something like 79,000. It was less than that. We're yeah. not talking about so, millions Yeah, yeah it was actually, it, yeah. 
I thought it was like 70, 76 or something. But when I ran the numbers again, it was actually, uh, it was actually 46. Yeah. It was under wow. 50,000 yeah. in terms of swings. So what you're talking, there were seven primary uh, swing states that were contested, close calls. And Biden, uh, no, it was like 11 actually. And Biden got seven out of the 11 or 12, something like that. It was like 10 to 12 um, and Biden got seven of them. And out of the seven that, that Biden got that turned blue, barely, uh, if Trump had only gotten uh, uh, four of those, or it might've been yeah. three, it was like three or four of those, uh, then he would have won at the right. you know the presidency at the electoral college, and those uh, those three or four states that he would have had to win, the margins and the popular vote of each of those states uh, collectively was less than fifty thousand. So, yep. uh, and then you know to th put you know just a little bit of more application on here, can't help myself, you know. But I wrote a book called Fight by Flight, you know, uh, you know, get out of California, comic California, but um, six million votes for Trump in California. Right. Mm. And, and so it was really close. California's coming around. Nope, uh, 12 million for Biden, not even close. Uh, so, uh, but my point is uh, 6 million votes yeah. for Trump in California. And to my shame, I was one of them because we left California in December of 2020. Um, and so just absolutely, you know, just flushing your, your, your right. vote down the toilet if you're voting for Trump, you know, in California um, or voting for, you know, any, any conservative in California. Um, but my point is, uh, at the national level, outside of just the state, at the national level, um, it came down to three or four pivotal states, swing states, going for Biden and collectively 50,000. So 6 million yeah. wasted votes for Trump in one state, namely California, and 50,000 is all you needed. Now 50,000, you take that, Divided it's actually 4. 1%, right? So 6 million, 600,000 would be 10%, 60,000 would be one. So less than 1%, yeah. if less than 1% of conservative Christian residents in California had chose to leave the state before November 2020 and move to one of these three or four states respectively and cast their vote there, you would have had a Trump presidency instead of a Biden presidency, even with all the shenanigans being played. You'd yep. have 13 US service members, very likely still living, yep. that died in Afghanistan. Uh, you probably would not have Putin's in, uh, invasion uh, with Ukraine, uh, very likely would not have some of the stuff going on uh, in the Middle East with Hamas and yep. you know and, and Israel. Um, you, you would not have some of the policies that have been crammed down. You, like, I, I mean, it's in real terms, it would be more loving for our neighbors. And at first, our, in triage, our neighbors here, because we are obligated to them first, right. American neighbors. Uh, but then also, we do live in God's universal neighborhood, right? The person on the other side of the planet is, in theological terms, my neighbor. Now, I have a higher, a first obligation to uh, my wife as a neighbor than some random woman who is also my neighbor, but this one's my wife, right? right? And, and then my kids, not all kids. I do have an obligation at some level to all kids, but especially my kids. Um, and, you know, and then and beyond that, I, I have a, a, a certain obligation to all countries, but first to my countrymen. To, to my um, kinsmen. And so all that being said, um, in terms of love for neighbor, I, ironically, even love for our global neighbors, yeah. right? So even the the, the weak yep. God's language of inclusivism, you know, we'll hate America, but love, you know, the Sudan. Yep. Uh, well, ironically, it would have been better for Afghanistan, better for like every single neighbor in the world if less than 1% of conservative 6 million voters in California had left and voted in one of these states. The whole world would have been more yep. left. So that leads right into what I my guess would be for a black swan event would be entering some type of global conflict. Uh, Ukraine is looking like they're probably about to lose the war. Uh, there was EU talked to Zelensky and they essentially said like, you need to be preparing for peace talks in the new year. And uh, wartime presidents actually generally prove to be 
generally pretty popular. I That's think true. George W. Bush during the War on Terror. That's Actually, right. I think he did that, two terms. I think that a U.S. president has never been voted out of office during a war. That's what I think wow. as well. Yep. Didn't want to didn't want to say it just in no, case I've, I'm wrong. I've read that. But uh, but to enter, for example, the war in Ukraine, we have to do this to push back against Putin. And if you vote for this guy, if you vote for the Republican nominee, uh, we're going to lose all the progress. The world's going to be crushed under an iron curtain again. Uh, that might be something. The Middle East, same thing. Like we have to go in there and help out our neighbor. And this guy won't do it. Mm. I got your back. Right. Vote for me. Forget because I mean the economy. You just you can't even campaign on that. You can't campaign on the economy, on infrastructure. You mean, you mean on, if you're a Democrat, right? Yeah. If you're yeah. Biden, you can't campaign on right. those things. So what are you going to have to do? Some type of like you mentioned, an empathy event, a disaster. Because again, all you need is fifty thousand, hundred thousand to be safe individuals to, to stay home, the reluctant voters, Right. fine, I'll fill out the ballot. Mm -hmm. Margin's yep. not high. Yep, no, you're absolutely right. Um, yeah, so you need some kind of black swan event. Here's a couple of my, I'll throw out my predictions. Again, no crystal ball, you know, I'm not, I'm not prophesying here, but just things to look for. And, and, and I do think it matters uh, not to scare people, but, right. but just for us to be uh, innocent as doves, why, you know, cunning as serpents, wise. Um, and, you know, we, we, we can't just go in a bunker for 2024 and the rest of our lives indefinitely. So live your life, uh, but live it with uh, courage, but also live it with, um, with wisdom. And, and discernment. And so that's all I'm saying. Um, but with that, uh, I, I have a few. So one, you, you have, you know, COVID 2.0, some kind of medical thing. Right. Uh, because here's the deal. So you got to think, again, as a generalist, um, you got to think, all right, what what's going to be the play? The play is uh, keep Biden, you know, in the White House or, you know, really keep whoever's, you know, mm -hmm. behind Biden. Um, as I, I'm convinced by, I think Biden has literally been dead for at least a couple of years now. <laughs> and they just have like some kind of like robotronics that like, you know, like a Roomba that causes him to, you know, they barely move out. around the room. So anyways, um, they, they don't even need him alive at this point. It's just like, they've been putting lipstick on that corpse for a while. Um, but you know, keep, keep the, uh, the Dems in the white house. And, uh, so how do you do that? Well, you need, um, I, I'm just, I'm just going to say it. Um, you need the peanut gallery of the country to vote. That's how Democrats get in office, yeah. right? That's the only way, uh, Democrats get in office by, um, I'm going to say it. Um, women voting. If you don't say it, I'll say it. <laughs> All right, women voting, the lowest IQ in the country voting, the poorest voting. Uh, basically, you need the people who contribute the least, the people who are most emotional, um, the people who contribute the least, uh, people who are here illegally, uh, who aren't even citizens. Um, that's You need the, the dredge of society to vote. That's how Democrats win elections. Because when people who care about the country vote... If only people who could care about the country could vote, uh, we would never, we would have a Republican president always. Yep. Democrats cannot win without getting people across the border, without women voting, uh, without, you know, a one day I think there'll be a play to lower even the age um, mm. of, yep. of voting. That's what they've so, been talked about. Right, yeah, yep. absolutely. They yep. need they need 14-year-old minority trans girls yes. mm. to vote to win an election because that's the only person who has the intellectual capacity to think that it would be a good idea to vote for a Democrat, period. So all that being said, um, the play is it's an election year. Dems want to stay in office. They need uh, the, the lowest of the low to vote. So you have to, what, what do you do? So thinking like a generalist here, um, what you do is you have to make it easier to vote. Mm -hmm. So uh, whether it's um, um, COVID 2.0, 
hey, we can't go out because, you know, we got to stop the spread. So you can't go in person, mail in. Mail in is easier than putting on pants, right? Putting on pants, that's something that people with jobs do, right? <laughs> uh, but, you know, like you, you don't have time to put on pants in the morning when you've got, you know, a whole Netflix season to binge that day, you know, and collect your unemployment check, that, you know, so uh, that person doesn't go out to vote. That person uh, mails in a vote. And it's not just that like, oh, it's easier to mail in than go in a vote. The mail-in, here's the thing about yes. the mail-in is it allows, uh, you don't even have to fill out the ballots because the same person who won't go, uh, oftentimes that person won't even mail in their vote. But what it allows is for ballot harvesters to go around and knock on go to an apartment complex where they, they can literally look at the building and say, I know that all, or go to um, uh, funded housing, yep, you know, yep. where I know every single one of these people are on welfare. And uh, can I, can I just, Hey, you, you don't want uh, Trump to be president. Do you? That guy's a racist, right? You know, like Biden wants to unite the nation, you know, and, and, and he want to take away your benefits. Right? Yeah, exactly. And he, yeah. Yep. He wants to take away your benefits. Uh, I, I'll take it for you. Can you, I just need you to sign like, and so that's, you know, and that's, that's, not even including like actual right. machines, you know, straight up, you know, fraud. miscounted fraud. Um, right. And so, so my point is, uh, what what can we expect this year? Anything that would make it. So this is this is the key. Anything that would make um, uh, give some kind of logical reason, justification for not going in person in public to vote. So uh, disease can do that. Here's another one: uh, mass shootings. Right. So. Um, uh, so FBI, just playing this out again, I'm not prophesying, this is literally just a random example, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but uh, FBI, right, which we know is totally legit, mm. <laughs> but like <laughs> FBI, you know, they say, well, we've gotten a bunch of, uh, we, we uh, hacked into, you know, a uh, signal thread, you know, or a bunch of emails that we came across where there's uh, uh, alt-right-wing Nazi extremists that have said they're going to be shooting up voting booths, you know, and so... Uh, and then we disclose which voting booths, but it's, you know, three, uh, three or four voting booths Could be in these four states and though. these, yeah, exactly. In, in this Georgia, state, Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania you Michigan. Know, Michigan, and exactly these co coincidentally, conveniently. And so what we have to do is, uh, in these states, uh, we just, we have to, cause this is the, this is the, the play. It's always, um, public safety for individual liberty, public safety for individual uh, that's give what's up. being traded. Exactly. That's the trade, right? So cost, cost uh, benefit an analysis. It's uh, give us your individual liberty. We'll provide your public safety. Yeah. So in those states, it's, I'm sorry, but uh, for the safety of the public, you guys get it, right? You know, we're just looking out for for the safety of the public. Uh, we're going to have to do all mail-in uh, voting this year. No, uh, no voting booths, no in-person. And then lo and behold, all the DNC little henchmen come out and they're doing the ballot harvesting. So that's so, uh, shootings. Uh, 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 medical COVID 2.0, yep. uh, all, you know, both of those are, are easy. So that's what I would be thinking. Now with that, um, there actually could be some real shootings, sure. some mm. real shootings. So like I already told my wife again, living with courage, but also not, not, you know, not living with a tinfoil hat, but also not living foolishly. And, and so I've already told my wife, Hey, this year, uh, we're going to be a little bit more careful. We're probably, uh, in 2024, the way our nation is right now, um, and with it being election year, we are probably not going to go to large public events. This is not a year mm. for us to go to um, some big concert, mm. as an example, you know, uh, uh, you know, or to this or that, uh, because I see this as being, um, it's been happening for a while now, some transgender, you know, shooter shoots up a Christian school or something, like, but especially this year, especially this year. Uh, so this year, uh, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna you know, play it a little closer to the chest. We're going to be a little bit safer. Uh, we're, we're still going to, we have our friends, our community. We'll do play dates, go to people's homes yeah. and do this, but probably not going to go to a large public event 
uh, with multiple thousands of people there um, in the year 2024. So anyways, uh, what, what do you think, Wes? No, that's great. And you got to think of it at the end of the day. It's, it's not a physical war. It's not a civil war, but there's a very sense in which we're at war for the soul of the West. And it's going to take sacrifice and it's going to take hard work and diligence. So first ordering your home rightly yeah. and then working to order your church and your community. But that's going to take, well, no, we're actually not going to go to the water park. We're not going to go to these concerts. Going to take personal sacrifice to fight for the soul of the West. We'll see what happens. The Lord knows. The Lord could bring revival, even used flawed men like Donald Trump uh, to uh, just invigorate and, and stir up the will of the people for good. So God can use Donald Trump and he may, and we may see a, a great renewal in this land, uh, but it's going to take so many individual households yes. making sacrifices exactly like you said, uh, to, to bring their wife home, to have children, to, to have right. a job, to work hard, uh, all at a local level. Lead family worship. To bring into something more. Yep. No, you're absolutely right. And and with that, quick plug for, you know, this Sunday, but if anybody's in the central Texas area, you know, we're, we're in Georgetown, Texas, uh, about 45 minutes outside of Austin. We'd love to have you. Covenant Bible Church, check it out, covenantbible.org. But we just started last Lord's Day, um, a new series preaching through the yeah. book of Ezra. And this week, I'm actually, Ezra chapter one talks about King Cyrus. You know, a lot of people have likened Trump to Cyrus. Like it's debatable whether or not Cyrus was actually mm. regenerate. He knew about the Lord. He knew right. he was the God of heaven, the true King of of all kings, you know, those kinds of things. And he recognized that, that God, the Hebrew God, uh, Yahweh, that he was the true God, God of gods, King of kings, and that he's the one who had sovereignly given to Cyrus uh, the authority and the, the civil, you know, power that Cyrus had and that he was supposed to use it in order to empower the people of God, namely the Israelites, to build a house for his name, to go and mm. rebuild the ruins of Jerusalem. And that's where we are right now as a country. It's, it's, um, it's you know, rebuilding the ruins uh, right. that we were a Christian nation in many ways. And I think, you know, that right now we're a Christian nation currently in the process of apostasy. Uh, we're currently, because of that, we're under God's judgment, and not just under his judgment, but even a stricter judgment because of his many blessings, yep. because of our founding. Which and, is the theme of next week's video, by the way. Great. Living, awesome. Living for, under judgment. For Wednesday, for yes. the live stream. Yes. Great. Living under judgment. Awesome. Yep. So next Wednesday, uh, 4 p.m. Central Time, living under judgment. Uh, this Sunday, though, if you're anywhere in the Central Texas area and you don't have a solid church home, we would love for you to join us. Go to covenantbible.org. Uh, but what I'm going to be talking about is just like Wes said, is the Cyrus thing, you know, that this uh, civil um, political leader, uh, like a Caesar type, um, that, that uh, whether he's regenerate or not, God uses him in his sovereignty because God directs uh, wrecks the heart of a king like many waters. God has a uh, sovereign power over all people, including kings, and uses it for the good of his people, the good mm. of the church. Mm. But uh, what's unique that I'm going to be addressing in Ezra chapter one, the latter part of the, uh, the chapter this next week, is that uh, Cyrus is not enough. So it says that, mm. you know, the same God who divinely uh, stirred up the heart of Cyrus to do good to the people of God, that they might build, rebuild Jerusalem and rebuild the temple, um, that same God who inspired Cyrus also inspired um, Israel, the people yeah. of Israel that were currently living in captivity um, under Cyrus and his rule, uh, but but not just uh, the people of Israel in general. There is some sense of that, but specifically targeting leaders in Israel. Mm. And there's two primary categories of leaders in Israel that God stirred up their hearts as well as Cyrus, and it was the Levites and priests, mm-hmm. that's one category, and the others um, are, were uh, civil and political leaders yeah. from Judah. So you have two houses, the house of Levi mm-hmm. and the house of Judah, right? The scepter, Jacob even prophesies this with his sons, the scepter, civil uh, rule and leadership is given to Judah, the priesthood yep. is given to Levi. So what you have basically is this, God stirs up the hearts of politicians and pastors, mm. politicians and pastors. Cyrus is not enough. 
the people still have to, Cyrus saying, you can go, you may go, you should go, and even resourcing the people of God to go still won't be enough to make them go. Yeah. They have to want to go. They have to have, um, and, and, and so you need um, to stir up the people. You've got to have Cyrus giving permission, uh, but you also have to have among your own people, right? So you can have mm-hmm. that foreign leader that's outside of the people of God. Right, like I said, Trump maybe not being regenerate. I would bet on him not being regenerate outside of the people of God. But but with this high office and a soft yeah. spot for the people of God, so you you need that uh, as a part of the equation. But you also need within the people of God your own local leaders, your own tri- heads heads of tribes, um, and you need uh, the political leaders um, uh, that are Christians at a local level. You need your Dusty Devers, uh, but then you also need uh, the Levites and the priests. You need your spiritual leaders. You need local pastors. Um, And if they're not on board, then the revival, the rebuilding, the resurgence won't happen. And in 2020, um, yeah, uh, the, some some boil, slowly boiling frogs in the in the pot of hot water woke up and jumped out of the pot. Praise God for that. I'm super grateful. Um, but but we have, I, I think we're naive if we say, man, uh, you know, the left they so overplayed their hands. You know, uh, yep. they done messed up. You know, and now uh, we we have this a uh, revival. No, we're no, we're near revival. Um, there's a little bit of a pushback. There's a little bit of people waking up and saying, man, I, I want revival. I want to go all the way back to 2014. <laughs> you know, wow. What a, what a, but uh, we're nowhere even close. And here's one of the reasons I would say we're not close is that uh, we, had, we had Trump in 2020 uh, before we lost him. Uh, but we had Trump in 2020. Uh, but then uh, we had uh, David French and Russell Moore and Tim Keller. And <laughs> we did not have the Levites yep. and the House of Judah mm. over here. Um, and when COVID, when that play was used in BLM, uh, we didn't have the pastors or the politicians, the pastors by and large, they all folded, they all failed. Um, and, and I'm not just saying they failed because we had no idea what was going on. They failed for a few weeks. I'm saying they failed for like better part of a year. Some of them over a year. Uh, and, and, and again, I'm not saying some. I'm saying the majority, the majority. even the, the conservative Absolutely. ones. And so I, I think we know that something, God is, that Aslan is on the move, you know, <laughs> that there's, there's really a work uh, when, when you have a Cyrus, but um, who may not be a part of the people of God. Mm. Uh, he's a foreign, a foreigner, but, but God softens his heart to have compassion on his people. So you have a Cyrus, uh, but then you also have uh, not just the Christian prince. I would, in this case, I would call him the Caesar, uh, but then what you have is many Christian princes, not yeah. princess. <laughs> yeah, let yeah. me pull out my patriarchy card, but princes, plural, multiple. Uh, that you, It's not just one, one Christian prince, but you have many Christians in politics uh, at a lower level underneath the Caesar, uh, but who are not foreigners, but they're natives. And here's the thing uh, about Zerubbabel. He was one of them. Uh, and then also the pastors, the, the, the priests and the Levites. And so you've got them too. Uh, but one, one of these political uh, leaders, uh, you got Ezra, he's the priest, but on the political side, the Judah you know, leaders, but, but native, not a foreigner like Cyrus, but native to Israel, what you have is um, Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel rebuilt the rubbable. All right, so you got Zerubbabel, um, but here's one of the things of his name, Zerubbabel. Um, wh- what it meant was uh, it was uh, she- Shel Bez- Sh- uh, Shesh Bezar, Bezar, I think, or uh, Bazar, uh, Bezar. Shesh Bezar, I believe, is the name that was given to him by the Babylonians where he was in captivity. And, and what that name meant was joy in tribulation. Hmm. So he was a warrior, but he was a jolly warrior. I think that's significant. And then the name uh, Zerubbabel, uh, what all the people said about him and what that name meant was um, 
uh, it was uh, it was stranger. Uh, I think it meant stranger in the land or something like that. Mm. What it meant was um, a lot of people had been seventy years at this point, yeah. uh, mean, meaning you know two generations, arguably three, depending how you count, two and a half gen. Like and the people had settled in. This is our home now. Hmm. Um, Zerubbabel, what was said of him, even in his name, is that uh, even though he was born and raised his whole life uh, in captivity in Babylon, that's all that for all intents and purposes, that is life, that mm. is home. Yep. Uh, but his whole life, uh, he felt like a stranger. He had a love for his heritage. Yep. He did not spurn his heritage. He had read the prophets. He had read Jeremiah. He had read Isaiah. He had read of the days of old, and he wanted Israel. He knew that going to Israel would be costly because you have to rebuild everything. It's going to be work, but I would rather work and have my home, yep. my heritage, Amen. my lineage, yeah. my history, uh, my forefathers. That you know, like he had a love. Yeah for his heritage. And that was one of the big plays uh, through the, the historians, through the politicians, through movies and Hollywood and media. One of the big plays for the last 60 years yep. was to get white Westerners to hate their heritage, yep. to hate Charlemagne, to hate King Richard the Lionhearted, yep. to hate uh, George Washington and the founders, to hate uh, King Alfred, to hate... Um, and I, I, I think that people are starting to wake up, but that's what it'll take. It, it, a Cyrus, my whole point is to say, Cyrus is not enough. Trump is not enough. And Trump honestly is, uh, I, I would prefer Cyrus. Right. You know, so, but like, so that, that would not be enough. Then you have to have many Christian princes and many Christian pastors. And in 2020, we did not have them. Maybe we not end with close. this, but the image is so good of the sword and the trowel. I think it's yeah. in Nehemiah. They're building and fighting. So they're not just fighting. It's not just, we oppose that. We're just opposed to it. They're building. But while they're building, they're not head in the sand. That's right. Oh, I hope nobody comes for us. They're defending their family, but building something up. That's right. Amen. All right. Well, uh, tune in next week. Just for anybody who's maybe new to the channel, just so you know, um, we've switched some stuff up. So this year, here's, here's the program. Uh, we've got Monday, Wednesday, Friday. So three shows every single week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, every single one of those days. It's 4 p.m. Central Time. It'll land um, on YouTube and Twitter. So you can watch uh, live on, on Twitter as it airs, or you can watch live on YouTube. And then everything eventually, uh, and not eventually, that makes it sound like a month, uh, within hours goes to our podcast platform. So you can find us on Spotify, on uh, Apple, um, and then, of course, everything's also on the website. That's rightresponseministries.com. And uh, we have a free app that you can download, whatever app store you use. Uh, just look up Right Response Ministries and you can download the app. So everything will go to the app and the website. Um, but in, and then within hours, it goes to all your, your favorite podcast platforms, Spotify, Apple, whatever. Um, but if you want to watch it live as it's happening at 4 p.m. Central, uh, it's Twitter or YouTube. So Twitter or YouTube, 4 p.m. Central time, three shows a week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Monday is what we call Theology Applied, the interview. That's where I do a remote interview with notable guests from all over. We've had Doug Wilson several times, uh, guys like, um, I don't know, Brian Sauvey, uh, guys. I've had Aaron Wren on the show. I've had uh, multiple different guys, Michael Foster, you know, A.D. Robles, John Harris, you know, all, all those guys. Um, and so uh, that's Monday, the interview, 4 p.m. Central time. Wednesday is the live stream. And that's with Michael and Wes, and we do that every single Wednesday, 4 p.m., um, and that's uh, that that's live. We're, and so we, we're going to be addressing current events and news that comes out, you know, like like the Aaron Wren article over that book, and so things that are fresh, things that are happening right now, um, and and also some things that that aren't but are pertinent and relevant. Right. Uh, and then Friday, 4 p.m. Central Time, that's called the special. 
Uh, the Friday special is a season-based show. So instead of just one singular episode, it's a deep dive of anywhere from eight to 12 episodes, each about an hour, 40, 40 60 minutes in length. And that's where I bring in, uh, not just remotely, you know, piping in through Zoom or something, but uh, in-house in the studio, I'm going to fly out two guys. And right now, the first season, and it's quarterly, so it's going to be four seasons this year, Lord willing, um, one season uh, this, this quarter, Q1, and then Q2, Q3, and Q4. So from April all the way through March, uh, we've got nine episodes of the first season of the Friday special and the first episode of the first season aired last Friday. And for this whole season, our, my guests are uh, Andrew Isker and A.D. Ropolis. And we're talking about Andrew Isker's recent book that he published, The Boniface Option, uh, which is kind of the sword and the trowel, uh, but but the first uh, being St. Boniface, the axe. Um, and so cutting down old Donner's Oak, cutting down trash world, clown world, whatever you want to call it, and then, and then building out of the ashes, um, Christendom. Uh, new Christendom. And so, uh, so that's, that's running right now. And um, a lot of people are, are watching that. That show's doing really, really well. And it comes out weekly, uh, but it's all pre-recorded. So we, we've recorded all nine episodes. And if anybody wants to get an episode ahead of time, uh, be able to not just have to wait weekly every Friday, but binge watch the whole season. You can join our Patreon. Uh, you can go to patreon.com forward slash right response ministries, patreon.com forward slash right response ministries. So thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, we hope you were blessed by this dis uh, discussion and we look forward to seeing you this Friday. Yep.